from the campus of Stanford University, this is Schools In. They believe that what we're being told is everything they need to know, and they just pay attention to that. You actually have to teach the teachers how to teach for innovation. With your hosts, Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. Welcome to Schools In. I'm Denise Pope, Senior Lecturer with the Graduate School of Education here at Stanford, and I am with my co-host, Dan Schwartz, Dean of the Graduate School of Education. Hello, Dr. Denise Pope. Dan, there is no funny name associated with this show? I just, I just want to see what the reaction was, <laughs> whether you would even notice. Oh, yes, I notice. You always call me a certain name, and now you actually call me by my real name. Is that, oh, is that your name? I don't know. <laughs> Something must be up your sleeve here. No, I, no, no tricks. No? I, just, I just wanted to see a reaction. That's well, all. I want to say hi to Dr. Dan. I have taught in interior Alaska Schwartz. He's a great guy. You always <laughs> wanted to meet him. Yes, I did. Talk, I t- talk to us about this, Dan. Um, so the this was, uh, from the point of view of outsiders, this was a very remote place. It was uh, about 400 miles from the nearest road. It Wait, was, from the nearest road? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, no radio, no TV. It was too far away from the signals. Um, about 250 people. And... Uh, most beautiful place you'll ever live. It was on the Yukon. I had a cabin overlooking the Yukon. Coldest place in Alaska as well, or close to it. Like, how cold is cold? Give us some. I'm from L.A. Uh, let me try it this way. So in, in these uh, villages, there was uh, the Mali Hooch Act, which said if you have enough children, there has to be a school built there. So they had the school building. It was, it was the most beautiful building. And it had a gym. It was the only place with running water because it's so cold. You couldn't have pipes anywhere else. They would freeze. Whoa. But he- here's the best indicator. Uh, so here's a question for you. What was the cost per pupil of uh, education there? At that school? Mm-hmm. I mean, if they had to keep the water running and it had to be warm, I was thinking really, really high. 60000 $60,000 per 30, kid? 30, 30, this is 30 years ago dollars. Yeah, and it was mostly for heat. Uh, yeah, that so, sounds a little bit. So it's a cold place. That's but, a very cold place. But, but it, it's uh, it's a beautiful place. You probably didn't have a lot of truancy because you're not going to want to ditch if it's the only place with running water and heat. No, 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 no. no. These <laughs> these people are very so Athabascan Indians. They've lived there for a long time. They're very good with the cold. Uh, they they actually have some biological adaptations. So they have more capillaries in their hands. For real. Yeah, and very friendly. I, I love them. And you you take off your gloves and you shake hands. And my hands are like cold and clammy always. And theirs are just warm and dry and I wouldn't let go. You know, because <laughs> it's like... but, that, but this uh, uh, beautiful place, but a place that was caught a little bit in the transition from traditional ways to new ways. And traditional cultural ways of the, the yeah, yeah. population. So, yeah, yeah. And and then suddenly the West comes in, you know, and certain technologies are wonderful, like uh, snowmobiles are a, a great plus, guns, you know, they they live off the land to a large extent. But other things come in as well, like expectations. What do you mean by expectations? Well, this is hard. What what are the expectations? So I, I managed to get one young woman to go to college. Wait, I, wait, wait, wait. Of uh, all the children that you taught for how long were you there? Uh, five years. Only one went to college. Yes. It, it's not like I was teaching thousands of kids, right? I, I had the same kid in every subject 
every day. Oh, poor kid. Through five years. Yeah, there's this, <laughs> this one kid, Henry. You know, I never reached him. I felt bad for him. Who do you, you have know? for English? Schwartz. Who do you have for science? <laughs> Shorts. So, but she she uh, she went to University of Fairbanks and she came back after a couple of months because she was lonely, you know. She had never lived in a situation like that, mm. and she lived in a town where she could walk in everybody's house and everybody knew her. And so I remember, uh, as you know, later in the years I was there, one of the elders came to me and said, "You know, I don't know why you're teaching them like geometry. They're, this is." What is it? You're preparing them for a life they're not going to have. Oh, so it's a, you're wasting their time. So, yeah, you should be teaching them practical skills, you know, things uh, how, to, how to repair small machines, things like that. But, but you could see the, this, this, this challenge of trying to figure out uh, how, where are we, where should we go. And, and it's been my theory, but I don't know if it's true, that this is probably the great contributor to the high level of suicide. High-level suicide in that town yeah, or in yeah. general? And, and, and in general, uh, where you're in a culture in brackish waters. You're it's a transition between fresh and salt. It's very hard to get your bearings to know what you're supposed to do. Who am I? What is my position in the world? What counts as success? And so the suicide rate was extremely high. And, you know, people very concerned about it and trying to figure out how to solve it. I eventually left the town because my, I knew my best friend was going to kill himself. Oh, and, my and gosh. I didn't, I, I'd been through too many. Oh, that you know? is horrible. Well, it, it's a serious problem. You know, people say, well, it's because it's dark and cold. And it's like, no, these people have lived here for thousands of years. You know, it's not the dark and cold. It, it's really, it is a cultural challenge. And so I'm really glad to have our guest who can help us think about how to address uh, issues like this, uh, suicide, uh, poor mental health that are involved when cultures get mixed up and things like that. Teresa LaFromboise is a professor of development and psychological science in the Graduate School of Education at Stanford, and her research is concerned with helping ethnic minority students survive cultural adjustment, discrimination, major life transitions, and other stresses. She actually created the American Indian Life Skills Development Curriculum, which is a series of lessons aimed at increasing social-emotional competence and reducing the risk of suicide among American Indian adolescents. So you're right, we have the right expert at the yes. table for today's show. Welcome, Teresa. Thank you. So um, I think for a lot of people don't really have a good image of what Indian education might be. Like, are they, excuse me, the whole world, excuse me for saying this. I don't believe this. Are they being, are they like in teepees? You know, and, <laughs> Is and there like, like a big teepee school? It's a teepee, yeah. yeah, and yeah. So, but, or, or are they just typical schools like anywhere else? Okay, that's a good one. It says a lot about <laughs> the kind of representations that are out there in society about yeah. Native people, right? Yeah, yes. okay. It does. Well, I mean, like you, I, I began teaching on a reservation school, uh, and I was teaching in a parochial school. Catholic school, which then um, had economic difficulties and was taken over periodically by the government school. Mm-hmm. And so on, on the, in this particular community, which was six miles from the Canadian border um, in a very cold climate. I bet. Uh, I'm noticing a theme. <laughs> yes, uh, where many of the teachers had difficulty finding housing and so didn't have running water and would, you know, bathe at the school and get ready and everything, right. although yeah. there was running water in the homes. It's just whatever was available for, te- you know, for the, some of the teachers that couldn't get into government housing, that's what you did. So it was really, it was, and really interesting people that would come to, to teach in those schools. But anyway, so I had the experience of government 
run school and, um, and a fed- Catholic school. This is a federal government runs these schools. Fed- federal government. So yeah. there was a, the, the, the government school, which was fairly large, and then there was a smaller Catholic school in that particular one. Um, so that's two of the types. And then we have tri- since that time with um, the with the advent of self-determination, many tribes have taken over their schools. So there are tribally controlled schools. Mm. And there are actually a few s- tribes that have their own school district. They've mm. been able to become their own district because they felt like they were marginalized within the school district that they were in. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that even happened in the 70s. So and then and then other types of church-run schools. So when you're on reservation, it's kind of amazing all the different, you know, um, religious groups that have tried to um, convert people. And so there are those schools. And then there are also other private schools on reservations. And then now there are you know some really interesting Indian alternative schools. Uh, the first one was the Little Red Schoolhouse in St. Paul, Minnesota, founded by the American Indian Movement. And, um, you know, one of the more recent ones where I was two weeks ago is um, the Native American Community Academy, which is right by the freeway in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which was help, help, um, founded uh, by a number of people, one of which is uh, one of the Graduate School of Education. Is that right? Um, so what, Tiffany what, what, Lee. what makes mm-hmm. them unique? Uh, the, these alternative schools? Well, because they have more control of the curriculum. I see. So they don't, you know, have to. Um, they do meet standards, but then they also try to infuse, you know, cultural, culturally sustaining pedagogy right. throughout. So um, it's vibrant places. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, they have sweats, sweat lodges outside, or they may have their own community but, garden. But if if there's like a government school on a reservation, it's not particularly interested in culturally sustaining pedagogy. It, it varies. It varies. Some are more uh, supportive of the students as Native people mm-hmm. uh, and also run more by Native people. So mm-hmm. One of the schools I've been in, uh, something like all of the administration – um, 67% of the teachers were from the community. All the paraprofessional staff was from the community. So, you know, it's a, yeah, yeah. It, it really yeah. depends. Yeah. This is Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. We're speaking with Teresa LaFramboise, and she's an expert on Native American education, talking about sort of the differences that you see uh, in and among the reservations of the type of schooling. So... Uh, Suicide is especially prevalent among Native Americans. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, in discussion, you told me that it's in the general population it's going up. Yes, it is. You said 25%. Was that it? It has since 1999 wow. it, among school-aged children. Wow, wow, wow. And it's very, I mean, it's just amazing, what, you know, what's happening. Yeah. and, and so, so, you know, the question often becomes, well, why is this happening, uh, you know, yeah. it, within the just even the general population? And I think with, uh, you know, Anthony Bourdain and, uh, you know, Kate Spade, some of the, the you know, conversations from the Centers for Disease Control and Pre- Prevention has talked about, you know, three, three simple things to remember, which is the, you know, opioid crisis. It's a lot easier to kill yourself now with, oh, with the drugs that are available. Oh, I would have never made that connection. So, the, so those are accidental Suicides. They are not necessarily. They're not. I mean, they may be accidental, but it also may be a form of, you know, of, of, of taking uh, your of life. Taking your life, and then add, you know, add to that the economic changes in the country, widening uh, inequalities and all that's happened, and then um, along with that is um, 
the, this culture that we have is an increasing culture of self-sufficiency. Mm. I mean, we're at, you know, a rising sort of social Darwinistic perspective where people who have problems and difficulties don't share it, even with their family because they feel shamed. There's a stigma. More should, of a everyone stigma should than... be able to make it on their own. Exactly. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Exactly. And yeah. that's increased lately. Because if you, you know, Glenn Close will talk about her sister, various people, how they didn't even know. Mm-hmm. They couldn't, you know, they were surprised. They didn't know that they had mental health issues. They didn't know that they were suffering that much. They oh. knew that they may be depressed, but they didn't know they were thinking of suicide. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you see this particularly in the Native American population. Yes, it's very high. What do you think of Dan's theory that it's not the cold and the, the dark? There's obviously more to it than this. There's much more. And, I, you know, I think we often, like, think immediately about what happens to the individual. But there are so many what I would call ecological risk factors. And you alluded to uh, acculturation stress. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, you know, add to that, you know, for Native Americans, historical, um, you know, trauma. Right. Persecution. Okay, right. The genocide, historical trauma, you know, pervasive poverty, um, discrimination, um, community violence. Um, it's just those kinds of, you know, an underemployment. I wouldn't like to say unemployment because even though the unemployment rates are high, a lot of people are busy doing things and they're yeah. making a living, yeah. but underemployment. And so, you know, these, you know, sort of social factors and ecological factors, I kind of think of it like just in the air. There's a study recently with uh, middle school students, um, Native students, uh, actually it's one tribe in the Midwest and Canada, but um, the thought about the loss of land is on the mind of 20% of those students on a daily basis. <laughs> and these are early adolescents. And you know, at first you think well, it would be the older people and the adults that would be struggling with this, but I think it says a lot about cognitive development and where people are at that stage in questioning everything, politically, spiritually, politically. And so they're struggling with that. Whereas their adult caretakers think of it only about four, only about 14% of them think about it regularly. This is Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. We're speaking with Teresa LaFromboise, who is an expert on Native American education, talking about high, high rates of suicide um, and, and some of the reasons why that might be for this particular population. And And the good news is that Teresa has Right. Has so, worked to make so, a difference here. So, uh, what can schools do? Well, I think schools could do a lot, and yeah. and and schools have been sort of stymied uh, in developing in this as a result of all the emphasis on testing, mm. and you know, back to the basics and achievement. So that work, you know, work in schools and suicide prevention um, concern for it started in about the fifties, but really at serious work in developing programs for it began in, in the 80s. And there are some really interesting programs that could be used more broadly for prevention but that also have an impact on suicide or behavior and suicidal ideation. And I can think of one that's so simple, and I think any of you know, many teachers know about this, which is basically re- reinforcing cooperative behavior versus disruptive behavior. But there's this, maybe you've heard of it, the good behavior game. No. Tell us about the good behavior game. The good behavior game is used in primary grades. Uh, and the difference between individually reinforcing, you have teams. You have two teams in your classroom. And you reinforce the team that is most cooperative with rewards. And it goes on throughout the whole time. 
So like like if the half of the classroom nobody uh, speaks out of turn, they get to go out to the recess early. Something recess like that. early, maybe Friday pizza. You know, whatever they decide that they want, you know, that they're going, I mean, whatever the school is using for rewards. But the idea is they're teaching self-regulation at a very early age Mm -hmm. in a very easy way. Mm -hmm. And what they found in a longitudinal study, um, randomized program comparison group, is that at adolescence, there's reduced, of course, obviously just reduced disruptive behavior, less uh, substance abuse, less drug addiction, less suicidal ideation, and less suicidal behavior. And it's simple. Wow. So, okay, wait, I have a question about this. I'm, this is fascinating It's learning to me. theory. So it, are you, it, some people, a cynical person might say you're pitting a group against another or you're using extrinsic rewards for something that we would want to encourage intrinsically. We want them to be doing good behavior, not to get the pizza party, but because it's the right thing to do. What do you think of that? I think whatever works is that we should go with. Mm. And especially those are pretty robust findings. And yeah. this has been used in throughout the United States and Canada in with unique cultural groups such as Mennonites and uh, Native kids. Um, uh, Dennis Embry is the person that's really written a lot about this. So that's one. Just, just in defense of reward. <laughs> uh, yes, Dan? Uh, well, you know, if you can't reason with some, someone – Rewards a good, a good solution. If the, and you're saying that they're too young to kind of understand yeah, they, the right and wrong. Hard, hard to motivate. Being a good person. Yeah, you be a good person because later on you won't have suicidal thoughts. It's yeah. probably not going to work yeah. at a young age. Well, yeah, <laughs> I think that's a that's yeah. a, a, a stretch. The, the, sure. the risk the risk is that later on, like when they're 14 or 23 and they behave well, they expect to be yeah. fed pizza. Where's the pizza party? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, pizza. exactly. But I, I love that. There is a, a sort of a simple solution that people can think about that has such grand long-term results. That's right. That's a- Another one that I'm very excited about is called Sources of Strength. And this was actually developed with Native people in Bismarck, North Dakota, United Tribes, but it has been adapted for the general school population. Yeah. Okay. We had uh, Shashank Joshi on who, who— He talked about that? He talked about Sources of Strength as well. But say just in a nutshell— quick. Oh. Okay, well, quickly, what it is, is um, it's emphasizing connectedness and belongingness by doing a lot of empowerment activities and positive messaging in schools. It's identifying who the peer, who the leaders are, and teaching them about suicide prevention, so that students, the peer leaders, the peer leaders are learning this sort of gatekeeper training and learning about. It. They become the natural helpers, and it's also identifying what adults in the schools really do will go the extra mile for students, and they then become the trusted adult that the peer leaders are referring their peers to who are in need at that time. So it's all already contained within the school. And, you know, uh, uh, administrators don't like to think about taking on a suicide prevention program, but they're very excited about peer leadership. Hmm. And so it's really well developed. So they've found, you know, reductions in ideation and behavior and, of course, improvement on the part of the peer leaders in being more sort of mentally healthy, healthily astute about what to do and not having stigma. And it's, it's really been quite effective. 
This is Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. We will be back with more from Teresa LaFramboise, talking about what works in terms of suicide prevention, particularly with all all different cultures, but with an emphasis on Native American education, next on SiriusXM Insight 121. You're listening to Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope from the campus of Stanford University. Welcome back to Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. We're talking with Teresa LaFramboise, and we are talking about a pretty serious topic, suicide and mental health and coping strategies, and uh, learning about two really promising programs that have made a difference. Yeah, so the the first one uh, was for young children. It's very psychological. The second one, Sources of Strength, mm-hmm. must be for older kids because – it involves so much social selection and uh, skilled social interaction. Let me just uh, summarize what the two were in case folks Thank didn't, didn't hear it. The yes. first one was sort of a game, put, put, divide the class in half and um, give reward for good behavior if your teammates are doing good behavior and everyone's kind of cheering on their 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 team. The sources of strength is more uh, training peer leaders to um, be the go-to people and particularly um, relationships with caring adults and knowing who those key adults and key peer leaders are um, who, who you can yeah. go to if you have an issue. Yes. Is that- mm-hmm. So the sources of strength must be for older kids. Yes, they'd be from uh, middle school and, and high school. It, it seems like a hard program to pull off. because Well, because you have to identify the peer leaders, uh, mm-hmm. and you have to set up relationships compared to the other one where this half of the room, I'm the teacher, this half of the room behaved, mm-hmm. let me give them a pizza. Mm-hmm. You don't but, think but, people know peer leaders? I think you ask any kid in the school, they're going to tell you who the peer leaders are, Dan. You think it's easy? Oh, I think, I think that part's easy. Yeah. I think getting kids to trust adults is obviously harder. That's right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you think about it, you could just ask, I mean, you, even to find out who are the who are the trusted adults is just surveying every student and yeah. asking them to list three or four adults in the school that they would talk to if mm-hmm. they had a problem we actually, or they had a concern. Every survey that we use for teenagers as part of Challenge Success has that question. Is there an adult at the school you would go to if you had a problem? It's a really common question in, in both. Boy, we, we should do that for the School of Education. <laughs> we should. Oh, boy. <laughs> We're very caring here. The professors are extremely caring. No, I'm the students right would have many people to say. Uh, I was actually thinking about the faculty. Uh-huh. <laughs> do you were... have a peer? Who are the peers <laughs> that you would? Yeah. Interesting. So what, what, what are these, – these are really interesting examples and very hopeful. Mm-hmm. Are there others? Well, do I get to talk about mine a little? Yes, please I, do. Please do. Oh, okay, please do. Okay. So I, I have a sister-in-law that says you ne- you should never talk about the competition, but I don't. You know, <laughs> the the difference is uh, American Indian Life Skills was really community driven. It was developed with the community of Zuni, the Zuni Pueblo, which is near Gallup, New Mexico, um, a number of years ago. But um, the we decided to emphasize, well, one, they, they, it was wide open what we would do. And um, basically, they didn't know what to do. And they had spent three, two years within community meetings trying to decide whether or not to have an outsider come in. And fortunately, they decided to invite someone. And I was the person that was invited. And I have had a wonderful experience with this throughout my career. But basically... We decided uh, we didn't want – we wanted it to be a universal prevention program because the rate was so high. Uh, the and, I mean, suicide rate was the, high. Yes. Yeah, so when we were invited in, five students that year in the high school, and this is a community of 7,000 people, 
uh, had had died by oh. suicide. Yeah, oh. that's oh. really oh. high. That's really high. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we, and given the closeness of the community, the, and within, and you know, every culture has gifts and burdens, and within the Native American uh, culture, I would say the gift is you know closeness and extended family functioning, but the burden is then the social contagion when something like this happens. Mm-hmm. Everyone's very seriously impacted by mm-hmm. it. So anyway. We decided it, it would need to be universal. We wanted to do it at the early adolescent level, but they wouldn't allow us to because the problem had occurred in the high school. Mm. Okay, so as many times as I tried yeah. to nudge that, it didn't happen. Uh. So anyway, we wanted to improve the, the basically the, the peer communication skills of students because in each of these cases, they had been with their friends the night before and not even discussed it. And then they would hear that their friend had died the next morning. Or the next day at school. Horrible. So clearly people were not talking as, you know, we talk about this culture of self-sufficiency. So um, so we emphasized then the basically peer communication skills and problem-solving skills. And then, of course, knowing what we knew at the time about, you know, genocide and um, the problems that happened, they'd be understandable that people would be angry and that there is acculturation stress and that there is, you know, um, uh, depression is the number one problem associated across the board, psychological issue associated with suicide. So we built this all in uh, with from a skills training perspective. This is Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. We're speaking with Teresa LaFramboise about a prevention intervention that she started uh, with American Indian Life Skills Development Curriculum. Could- could you give an example of one communication skill? Uh, the scenario you're describing where they're hanging out in the evening and then the morning they had no idea that someone what, – what kind of communication skills would help me in that situation? Well, we start with the basics, just learning non-ver- nonverbal behavior, mm. being able to see uh-huh. any changes in a person's behavior. Um, perception. that they, they didn't even pick it up. Right. Right, and so we do, you know, sculpting. We do um, sculpting, f- sculpting of bo- you know, physically sculpting, oh, so that we can yeah. get different poses. So people learn to notice it. Yeah. yeah, we have another thing called face talk, where they just, you know, uh, people have to respond, not talking at all, to scenarios that we give them, and then they analyze their facial expressions. And it's very, you know, very basic communication. They learn open questions, but, they, but enjoyable. I mean, oh, yeah. I, they would engage in this. They're fun. There's fun activities in yeah, all of this yeah. uh, because it's not. It's not. It's actually the, the when I de- when we developed it and piloted it, the language arts. The person that was in charge of language arts said, "You know, Teresa, you, you know, you have all the content down, but it's not fun enough." Yeah. Uh-huh. And I said, "Well, can you help me with that?" <laughs> so she she did. She came out and stayed with me for the summer when we totally rewrote the curriculum. That's awesome. To be fun. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 To be, you know, very interactive. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so it's, so it's a buildup of learning, the, you know, communication skills and emotions and stress management and anger reg- regulation and depression management. And then we learn then basic crisis intervention around suicide. How, what are the facts and myths, signs of suicide, um, how to intervene with a suicidal friend. They learn a basic plan of, you know, four steps where they identify you know, what their feelings might be, what the problem might be. They ask the question, could you, are you feeling suicidal? Mm. And if they get that, you know, an affirmation to that, then they get the, they agree to go with their friend to help. 
Mm-hmm. That's goes. It's sort of just like these other programs. Yeah. Basic. Yeah. And then what we, we didn't want it to end there. And so then we have eight lessons on individual and personal goal setting for, you know, an effective life. So it's just mm-hmm. very upbeat, positive towards the end. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's the curriculum. That's fabulous. I can imagine that you've saved countless lives. That's amazing, really. Mm-hmm. And, and something that people can use... Even at home, if you're a parent, you know how do you how do you notice nonverbal skills? How do you how do you um, g- get brave enough to ask certain questions that aren't usually talked about in particular cultures um, or any culture, right? right? Around mental health. So, Teresa, thank you so much for for being on the show, and thank you for listening to Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. If you missed any of this episode, listen anytime on demand with the SiriusXM app on iTunes and on SoundCloud.